Hey, it's Daniel. I wanted to do a quick intro to the episode because it's a bit of an unusual one for us. Currently, it's July 2nd, but we recorded most of this episode back in April. See, back then we decided we needed to raise a bunch of venture capital money for Arrows, and we decided to record during that process how we felt and what we were thinking. Then, just a few days ago on June 29th, we announced that we have raised $2.75 million from Gradient Ventures, which is Google's AI-focused venture firm, and 47 angel investors. A lot of those investors are actually friends of Arrows, people we've talked about before on this podcast who've been really supportive of us, and we're really proud about it. To be honest, it's all been a pretty wild change of pace for us, but this episode should help you understand why and how it all happened. So let's get into it. Hey, Benedict. Hey, Daniel. So it's April 12th. Want to timestamp that Monday? We made a big decision in the last uh, week and a half. Do you want to say it? Uh, we're going to, I don't know, I never know how to say it. We're going to raise, fundraise, we're going to take funds, we're going to take investment, we're going to seek investment. Yeah, we're going to take other people's money to help build arrows <laughs> yeah. instead of just using our own money, which is what we've been doing so far. Right. Yeah. So maybe we should talk about the evolution of that, like why... I mean, it's not terribly surprising. We've mentioned it here and there in passing here on this podcast, but then we've discussed it personally a bunch of times over the years, like when and why and how, but what what happened this time? Like, where are we now, I guess? Yeah, I think, I think it may be slightly different, but I'll say the thing that I've said to you before and how I think about it, which is basically, I think we're at a point now where we recognize that there's a serious need for this tool and solving this problem. But the limiting factor right now is several things. The biggest of which is just like this product needs to do a lot of stuff and getting people to basically when someone starts using it, like it's going to be a big part of their company. And I think in the end it boils down to we pursued this idea and this problem uh, sort of thinking that it would be a bootstrapped opportunity we talked to all these companies talked to all these success teams saw all these spreadsheets and I, it's kind of silly in retrospect but at the time it seemed sort of like a niche idea that this is like a problem that a very specific subset of companies will need to solve but i think as we've kept going and as we've kept working on it it's become clear to us that it's actually a huge problem and it's a huge task to solve that problem and not only that but the market for solving this problem or the number of people who need this problem solved is colossal actually and all of that boils down to the fact that bootstrap companies work well in certain contexts and i think in the last couple of weeks looking at a bunch of different bootstrap companies and revisiting them with that new perspective of thinking about the problem that we're solving at least for me i came to the realization that in fact what we are doing is different from what all of the successful bootstrap companies are doing which most bootstrap companies are either a filling a very specific niche within a category or b being a alternative in a category like a strongly opinionated first right. a specific style of design like hey and base right. camp are great examples of that massive categories right. but a very yep. specific version exactly and so right it's, it's not really like hey is not really a niche you know it's tackling a broad problem within a broad market in an opinionated way versus something like oh we're 
building some tool for some specific job within some specific industry. Yeah, like a CRM uh, for you know, real estate people. people yeah, or real whatever. estate. Yeah, that's a good example. Yeah. I was even going and so, more smaller than that, but yeah, you can... Right, yeah, yeah, right. Real estate's still huge, but... And so in the end, it's trying to solve this problem for this market without funding is shooting yourself in the foot a little bit. And well, that's the, because we, we've realized basically this market is... This category is very new. Right. Yeah. And that's the other piece of it is that it's not a category where we can catch people falling off of falling off of the truck from some big tool that is just not quite right for them or some big category where people the tool just doesn't work for the specific group of people's need. It's like, no, this is a new category. And so in the end, I think that also a big piece of our or at least my hesitation to ever take VC funding was feeling like the problems that I was trying to solve never really were a problem that could satisfy a VC scale return or outcome. Or even that, like the, the money would help solve it. Like I think we right, always exactly, came up right. with that. Like, oh, we had more money. We don't really think that this solves our problem. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And so it's, it, it's from both sides where I think the interests are aligned in that way where we recognize that to solve this problem, we do need more people working on it, and we do need more resources to accomplish that. And from the VC side, it's like, well, this is a huge problem. This is a huge market. So in that sense, I think I feel an alignment there that I haven't really felt before. And so I think that sums up why I think this is the right thing to do and the right time to do it. And I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, same. I, I mean, you laid it all out very well. I mean, we've talked about it enough times now in the last week and a half to um, have a you know shared thinking around it. But that that sort of the market and the category is forcing us down this. Not entirely. Like, yes, we could still hold on to dear life and and do it on our own still. But we really think the risk was before in raising capital and turning it into something that we didn't want it to be. Now we've shifted and realized the risk is not having it because really just the amount of time like the buying cycle for these customers is longer they have a lot of they have very high like needs around what they want the product to do and a lot of it's just people keep coming back to us over time and we're seeing that building awareness is useful but we need to exist and and make a lot of progress very quickly but exist for longer and build up some trust with people because like you said benedict it's such a core part of not only people's business but like their relationship with their customers and, and 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 drives that forward and part of their revenue so they need to be to have it be something that they can fully trust and and rely on yeah and i think in situations where people i think there's a lot there, there are some markets where a company being bootstrapped raises confidence if you're serving a niche market and you're bootstrapped that feels good to that niche market because they know that you're not going to bail once that niche market gets too small. The whole point is that the niche market is smaller, and so you are bootstrapped. So you're you're We're not going to kind of people really, really well, right? Really well. And I think the other thing is like realizing that no, the, our customers like want to know that this will be the tool for doing this process. Like that this will be the one that will grow quickly enough and alongside uh, their own growth, right? Right, exactly. And kind of they want to pick the right one, what I mean. And like, I think that is, and I think our chance to provide that for folks requires more resources. Yeah, definitely. No, I think you nailed it. 
So it's been an interesting, I think the timeline of building Arrow so far has been, we have often felt very slow in terms of or it, like how long it's taking to build it up and get more customers. And, and even though we've done so many demos and customer conversations, we just always felt that there were a lot of people who wanted to use us, but they were missing a few things here or there. And it didn't feel like they were hand wavy features that like if we actually like they were just telling us something like they were genuine. We need us to do this because this is how we currently work and this is how it fits. And, and, and so not everybody we've talked to previously that if we added those features would switch, but a larger number of them should have. And so in the scale and timeline of like a funded company, like we're in a very good spot. Whereas as a bootstrap company, it's like, Oh, we're just chipping away. And, um, things are taking slower and we're burning a lot of money doing that. And it's, it's recognizing the situation we're actually in has been helpful, I think in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Well, I don't know if there's really much else to say. We're now, we don't really want to talk about it until we do it. We wanted to share maybe that this was our thinking and we're now starting to talk to some folks. We're talking to some of the friends of arrows that we've talked about previously. We're talking to some other people who have reached out over the last few months or year that have been generally in, interested in us or interested in the success space and we're getting a lay of the land and I don't know how much more we'll talk about it until there's something to say uh, beyond this but that's how we're feeling now yeah and then I think we mostly wanted to capture it and at the time that we're thinking about it and it's most fresh rather than delaying to some future time yeah let's go back to it I've got a lot more calls this week all right Alrighty. later, later. All right, so now it's Wednesday, April 14th, where it's in the afternoon, but it was basically 10 a.m. Pacific time on the dot. We, what did we do? We signed a term sheet and sent it to the investors. <laughs> yeah. I was going to tee you up for yeah. it, and I was like, that's stupid. Just say it. Right. You were teeing me up, and then you said it like I was like a little baby who... What do we do? Yeah. What are we... Do? What are we opening our mouth to eat the food? <laughs> yeah. Now we can actually eat some food because we're going to have some money in the bank. I mean, we were eating food just... Yeah, yeah. Food. We're doing okay. Yeah. So uh, on Monday, we got the term sheet. We talked about that. We had a few calls with investors. We had a couple more this week, or I did. I mainly did those, and then you and I did the one with the people we actually went with. We can say it because we'll release this in a conjunction with announcing this, I'm sure. But Gradient Ventures, they're um, gradient.com. Darian from Gradient is leading it, and we really like them. They really were pursuing us hard and really interested and got us, and we just clicked with them right away. And we talked to some other folks and really liked them as well, and they're folks we might work with again in the future, so it was kind of relationship building. But both of us were really excited about Darian and Gradient, and they put the work in, and, and it really showed. And we found terms that we really liked and they moved so quickly that we couldn't say no basically. And now we have the ball rolling. Like we, we have to convert from, it's so quick. I, I told a friend that we signed it and I was like, it happened so quickly that we're still an LLC. Like we're still converting to a C Corp as part of this process. And it's after we signed the commitment with them, which is really funny. Yeah. I think, right. I think the thing was when we talked to them, we didn't have to explain anything they got the vision immediately and they got exactly where we're going and where we're trying to go and it was sort of a thing where any other firm it felt like we had to explain so much or they didn't they hadn't been actively looking at the market and mm -hmm. they didn't get what we were 
I don't know. I don't I know. Maybe say, they would actually, get yeah. what we were going for. Or you know. Regarding that, I didn't really give a full chance to the, the firm I talked to this morning. I don't want to mention yet that we didn't go with, but the other one that we had, I started that call saying, oh, we just signed the term sheet and we just really clicked with them, but they got it. The two people there had mm. been aware of us. They got it. Not as they didn't, you know, I didn't feel the same sort of excitement and conviction. They definitely got it. They understood what we were doing. We probably could have made them competitive, but it, it, the conviction that Darren and Gradient had even before us going into the call was, and then them, when we were like, why are you so excited about us on that call? The first call we met them on Monday, two days ago, they just, it, it came back so, so clearly and so true and honest that it was just like, okay, yeah, you guys, let's like get to work with you. Like, we don't have to sell you on this. Like, we can actually do some cool shit now. And that's, I think, a big piece of it also is it's not a thing where we need to spend two to three months. Or even two to four weeks. Like, it, even if it had been like a normal uh-huh. process of two to four weeks and still relatively quick. Like, we're done and we, we decided fully a week and a half ago to do this and we already have a signed term sheet. Yeah. I th- think it might be even faster than that. But yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. So now we uh deal with some legal stuff converting to the c-corp we have to set things up properly get the basic very basic due diligence out of the way and then in a week or two we'll have the money in the bank and then this will probably come out later once we actually announce it and something i think you and i've been talking about there's a lot we have to do now before we're two guys running a self-funded company it was pretty straightforward now we need to go higher we need to decide who we're going to hire, what roles. We we have some ideas there, but we need to clarify it. We need to have benefits and payroll and all these things that we just didn't have before on a basic level, but we also need to make sure we can onboard people to our app and code and make sure they're able to make progress very quickly and all sorts of stuff. So there's a lot to figure out there. And then the other side is like, we've been working without resources for so long. When we decided to hire a content marketer contractor, to help us with the onboarding 101 series like we paid for that out of our pocket right we each 50 50 put up some money and again it was like one or two grand like it wasn't a lot now we have like a lot of money coming in i don't know if we should say how much but like we have a lot more money coming in and it's a balance that i think we're trying to figure out how to strike between actually spending properly while also maintaining like a sense of frugality and this is meant to last and be used when we know how to apply it properly, not just because we have it. Right. Yeah, I think, and the way that we're thinking about it is, you know, we have two years to figure this out and figure out how to make this work and become a business that can become very big. And we need to take that shot but we also need to aim a little bit before shooting. And I think that's the balance that we're trying to find. Yeah, if we build on like our bet-making kind of general strategy that we run with a lot of work that we do, really this is about making sure we have a lot of iterations and bets, but not necessarily putting weight or like resources behind those bets yet. It's testing them and iterating and moving quickly and having the people involved to help us make more bets simultaneously. But there's a you can spend a lot and hire a lot of people and actually go even like spread out and actually lose your direction more right you can slow yourself down yeah slow yourself down or lose direction yeah either way Mm -hmm. so this isn't really also about like we still expect to be a pretty pretty calm like measured smooth running company while still moving much faster so we're gonna have to figure out how to do all that and it's a part of it's exciting part of it's daunting it's i mean it's all exciting actually but 
it's definitely a new mode that we're starting to shift into, which is pretty exciting because the market and investors and other people, the market like we're serving our customers, not like the funding market. And then also investors are clearly excited about what we're doing and the thing we're going after. after. So now it's like, let's go do it. It's pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else we should add now? I mean, I think we will hopefully have Darian, our investor on at some point in the next few weeks after we close this and then hopefully we'll really solve this as one episode. Yeah, I think that'd be cool. Yeah, I think it'd be really interesting to make him say what he saw in us and we can play this as a preamble to him hopefully coming up right after this. Do you up edit it at all or no? Yeah, we I go through and edit. At some point we need to go find somebody that I can do it first, cool. but it does take more time than it should. You guys are literally doing startup.com, that movie, but real life, real time. Have you seen that movie? It's a great movie. Yeah. A long time ago. It's like from like 99. Yeah. Everyone should watch it. Even the listeners <laughs> of the pod, this pod. Now I have to keep this part in. So who are you? You're, you're Darian. You are our lead VC at Gradient. You're the one who, who led our round. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. I've been I, I tried to invest in you guys like a year ago too. I've been like pretty persistent, right? Yeah. And then I the emails I remember most specifically were like January this year and March, right when we launched. You you emailed us in January and I was like, I don't know who this guy is. Like I mean I, I looked to you up, but I was like, I don't know anything <laughs> about him and we're not trying to raise money. Like we were an LLC. And then you emailed when we did our actual launch launch and you were like, I'd love to give you money. And I was like, well, we're not, we're probably going to take money from individuals. You're like, I'll give you money individually. And you're very, very persistent. I was like, who is this guy? Like, I don't know who he is. He really wants to give us money. And I was like, well, we'll probably only take money from people. And the mindset at the time was we were going to take money from people we were friends with. We knew that had been supportive, like just angels. And we're like, I don't know who this guy is. Why would we give him allocation? <laughs> so you essentially took that as a dare. And this is for the listeners. Like you sent us a bunch of portfolio companies for demos and a couple of them became customers. And out of that was something that I think was very, very impressive to us and very, it meant a lot. And so then when we independently of that email decided to raise a real true VC round, we were like, we should give this guy a phone call. <laughs> you guys gave me a chance, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it, it sounds weird, but we had no, we didn't know you and we weren't really in the mindset of raising money. And it, I think it's very interesting given how people think of the market being hot, but like, it's still, how do we find somebody that we feel comfortable with and we're early and we want somebody who feels a lot of conviction. And so really, I guess our, you know, the first topic is like, why did you feel such conviction for arrows? I personally believe that customer onboarding is the, is as important as sort of what Salesforce does for pre-sales, like post-sales is so important. And most of the products and services that are out there don't really help with post-sales because people are just focused on growing revenue. But in for SaaS companies, customer retention is incredibly important. And most of this is done with spreadsheets. And so even at my company, whenever we'd onboard a big customer, most of our customers were big enterprises. It was all done in spreadsheets. It was all done in checklists. I think a lot of people are using various to-do lists to do to deal with this problem. But no one's really tackled the concept of, hey, I want to make sure my customer's on the same page as I am as to where they are in the implementation process. Because really the, the first 30 days after you sign a customer is the most critical to see if they stick. Like they're, they're if they don't mm -hmm. get, if they're not satisfied or they don't feel like they're getting the value that they expected, they sort of just give up and like move on. 
and then sort of churn. And, and the concern that I think a lot of companies have today is that they don't know how to make sure their customer success team is actually onboarding customers properly. So there's this like lack of transparency on both sides, the management layer in the company, and then also the customer itself. That makes sense. Does a lot of your investing come from problems that you saw when you were operating as a founder and running a company? Is that something that you frequently do? Or is this something a little bit different where it's like, oh, this problem or... Can you talk about or a little in your portfolio? Yeah, I mean, I'd yeah. Say, yeah, exactly. I'd say 50% of the companies that I've invested in have been some personal problem I had as a CEO, like for, or, or a personal problem I have, I had just as an employee of my own company, right? Like, for example, Benapass is the prototypical example. HSA, FSA, commuter benefits, they're, every time you join a company, you get four Visa cards and you don't know when to use them. So that was like a, a really obvious, easy one to, to sort of fix that market. This is one where it's on the customer onboarding side. Mural was one where if we were ever remote or if I was ever traveling, I wouldn't be able to run a collaborative meeting. And, and so there are a lot of companies out there that, that I've sort of said, hey, this is like a problem I struggled with, probably is consistent across customers. And there's 50% that aren't, but I would say that it's like pretty similar. Like Secure Frame is another one. I, SOC 2 compliance, such a pain to get. And so I said, hey, this is a really awesome automated form. Most of the companies in the space, like, whether it's Vanta or Drata or whatever, they're not really even still automated. And that's what I loved about SecureFrame is the automation is software-based. And so I think that what you guys are doing is also very interesting because you can automate the process of onboarding a customer such that every customer gets the top quality experience. And then you have a high likelihood of keeping that customer for the long term. Yeah. we. That's an interesting point. And, and so it, part of that, you, you mentioned it was secure frame and we've noticed that as customers who have like, we have not become a customer of secure frame, but we've mm -hmm. looked around at other products like that. And we're like, oh, this is the one we'll probably go with partially because they're in the portfolio and that's nice. But really it's interesting. You, you've, I think being a founder and somebody who's built things, you do get a layer deeper like you on our first call, which is the day we got an offer from you. Like the first time we actually met you read back a lot of our like playbook to us that we had very intentionally decided and you seem to be very perceptive of those things and and like in the secure frame examples another key one where there's actually a very like something that maybe will not be obvious at the start but is a very high leverage like thing for down the line and you seem to have a few of those bets that you were making on arrows like so when you sent portfolio companies to us and and when you were making that decision like what what do you feed off of to make a decision to invest in a company? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, thanks for that, actually, uh, for sure. But it was also a, a collaborative session. And I think sort of not really a test, but a conversation as to how are you guys thinking about the market? That's most important. I mean, I think that a lot of seed investors try to scrutinize what's the, the, what's the dollar amount of the size of the market? What are the potential customers you could go after? Like sort of the obvious things that everyone talks about in the VC conversation. I'm more interested in talking to founders or having conversations with founders to see how they think about their customers, how they think about how they communicate what they do. It's really interesting that most enterprise software aligns very well to the buyer's compensation and the buyer's personal goals, right? And it's like founders that understand that are very successful. And then founders that sort of are, are too focused on like this massive vision and not just focused on like, what's the best thing for my customer, they end up struggling for a lot longer. And so I sort of feel like when we were talking a lot about the market, talking about the solution, 
it, it was all about who the buyer is, who the customer is, what value you're going to drive for that customer and buyer. And then the, the question at the end is how many of those are there? I sort of front load, I, I sort of turn the whole conversation on its head, which is like, who, like, who is the buyer? What motivates them? And do you guys actually care about it? There are a lot of founders I've mm-hmm. seen pitch that's like, don't really care about it, but they know it's a big market. So then I'm like, oh, that, that founder maybe won't want to want to like drudge through the challenges of the problem or challenges that that come that come along as you build a company because they're not super passionate about helping the customer whereas you guys and Shrav and mariano at mural like they're you are all very passionate about this particular customer and the pains that they have and making sure that they're happy and so that was i think what i was trying to see is like were you as passionate about the problem as i was and actually you're way more passionate which is awesome to see and so i know this is a real problem especially the concept of hey there's a the customer needs wants to be able to log in and see where they are in the onboarding process see where they are in the process of like consuming this new product that they've purchased that's a really cool feature I think it's also even more important because there are a lot of competitors in this space. And I would say the two of you are the most passionate about customer onboarding. I think it seems like you've, you learned that at Twilio, you learned that at a number of places that you guys have been where customers want to be delighted early on. And then how do you give them the transparency to know whether they're on track or not? And how do you make sure that they are onboarded correctly? Those are the things that, that I saw a lot of passion around. And that made me say, okay, I'm willing to take a bet on this team because I know it's a real problem. I'm looking for people that care about their customers and want to make sure their customers are successful. Because if you can do that, then scaling is relatively easy because you have a, a core set of initial customers. They're going to vouch for you. And those people, the flywheel will start turning automatically because customers will refer each other and they'll see how much value they're getting out of it. And before that, you just have, you just have to hire sales reps and make sure that they know how to onboard more customers themselves. And you can dog food your own product, which is really, really a great opportunity too. Most companies don't have that.